warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. the real britannia podcast the very british podcast about very british movies we've just a hint of professionalism good morning scott here with me today is my original co-host back in the chair hello tony how are we doing mate? good morning i'm fine how are you i'm okay breaking news very sad news you've just told me before the microphones went on um this is to give the listener some idea of when we're recording we've just heard the very sad news that des o'connor's passed away yes he's gone it's, it's, but then, when you think about it, the guy was eighty-eight. You know, yeah, good innings. You, you forget these things, don't you? That our heroes from you know the sixties, the seventies, the eighties—he was going right through, wasn't he? To be honest, um, are getting old now. There's no denying it. We're all getting old. But yeah, eighty-eight years old. Fair play to him. Fair innings. Not necessarily a real Britannia contender because I don't think he made any movies, but. Since we spoke as well, we've we've got the sad loss of, of Sean Connery, which I know has affected you a little bit. Yep, Sean Connery, um, Bobby Ball, they're all, <laughs> yeah. they're all dying. What's going on? You know, COVID-related diseases. And, oh, who knows? Anyway, sad, sad news. But we're going to be doing, I've just mentioned to you, we're going to be doing a Sean Connery tribute in January. I think we're going to be recording it in January because what we wanted to do was not just rush into this and say oh quick let's just quickly review a Sean Connery movie no want to give him a, you know give him the, the tribute he deserves mate we're going to take a bit of time so luckily the next in the Bond series is Goldfinger isn't it I think is the next one we need to do I think so I, I think we're a, a living tribute to those alive or dead to be fair mate. <laughs> what the whole programme <laughs> yeah the whole programme is just one big tribute to these, well, um, these a, people it's a nice way of putting it actually mate. Yeah. isn't it yeah but yeah, we'll do a Bond tribute. Um, we're going to sort of cross over with our sister podcast, The Stinking Paws, as well, and do a couple of Connery movies that are a bit more recent with the guys there. So, you know, we've got that to look forward to, despite, you know, obviously the sad news that he's no longer with us. Let's just hope there's no others, mate. Let's, let's just see if we can get through Christmas. Well, there can't be many left now. <laughs> We're whittling through of them quite quickly no, now, I would say. No, it's, it's not nice when you think about it, obviously. No. 
uh, today's one, which was selected by you, today's movie, you took me completely by surprise. Oh, don't tell everyone. No, no, because <laughs> of, of all the movies that I thought, you know, you've got this mental list of stuff you want to bring to the table. I'm pretty sure this probably even wasn't on your mental list anyway. Was this? Oh, a... it's definitely mental. But was it a spur of the moment thing? Did you just sort of look down the cast list and think that looks interesting? No, what it was, I um, I I do a lot of driving, so I listen to the radio a lot. And at the moment, everything's just doom and gloom about the world. So I started listening to podcasts as I was driving along. Yeah. Um. So I was listening to the Steve Coogan podcast. Uh, Yeah, he's got that new one out, hasn't he? Yeah. Well, I listened to one in conversation with James O'Brien, mm. um, and he brought up 24-hour party people, and I'd never heard of it, never really seen it. Um, again, because Steve Coogan's only really known for one thing nowadays, isn't it? It's Alan Partridge. Although he's done loads of other stuff. Of course, yeah. He's this Alan Partridge. Like David Jason, he's only Del Boy. He's never done anything else. He's just Del Boy, isn't Everybody it? forgets, so, um, yeah, Inspector Frost and things like that. They forget all of that, Darling Buds yeah, of May. Yeah, Darling I'm, Buds of yeah. May and Open All Hours and stuff yeah. like that. But, um, yeah, so I thought, actually, yeah, I'm going to have a look into that. Then I looked at the cast list and I thought, well, actually, there's a few faces on there I quite like. Yeah. Um, it's worth a watch. Okay, so you watched it last night. Yep. Yesterday. Yep, me too. First time watch for both of us. Yes. Straight off the bat, I wasn't looking forward to it. Okay, it's a, it's a movie I've been fully aware of for 20 years nearly. Yes. I just never got round to watching it because although I am the possibly the ideal age to have appreciated that music, it was never part of my scene. No. That whole club culture that that drug culture there in, in the 80s and that because i was a teenager you know the, you know the height of this i was 16 17 18 even you know perfect age that's surprising but you come across as a raver do i yeah yeah i have my wild <laughs> moments mate <laughs> anybody that knows me knows that that is complete rubbish don't they <laughs> raving something yeah, and even you know I, I never really got into that music at the time but as I've got older I've learned to appreciate bands like the Happy Mondays and the Stone Roses and the Smiths mm. even you know um, we'll talk about this as we get through the through the uh, review of the movie because this is way above your <laughs> your sort of level of um, musical appreciation because when were you born what year were you actually born like, let the oh, listener know uh-huh. Oh, uh, 94. So this was all dead and buried by then. This whole... This era had gone. It had passed you by before you was even born. So... Yeah. But then again, I suppose that's a bit like me and my fascination for the 50s and 60s and the music there, I suppose. You're like me. You love the old classic stuff. You like a good old, you know, good old-fashioned bit of music. Yeah. Um, This will be interesting because this is probably your version of the 60s so I'm, I'm intrigued to find out where you're gonna go with this it's 24 hour party people let's play the trailer we'll be back after this. Manchester. 
Birthplace to the railways, the computer, the bouncing bomb. In 1976, if you wanted to see the most exciting bands in the world, they were on a regional show coming out of Manchester. My show. I'm Tony Wilson. June the 4th, the Sex Pistols play Manchester for the very first time. There are only 42 people in the audience. Inspired, they will go out and perform wondrous deeds. For instance, behind me are Stiff Kittens, later to become Joy Division, and finally to become New Order. That's John the Postman, he's a postman. Have you heard of the Factory Records? My label. Joy Division, New Order, Happy Mondays. We are an experiment in human nature. Kind of music you got me bringing in. Sort of new wave, kind of indie. Indian? Pity you didn't sign the Smiths. I've just seen God. What do you look like? Look like me. United Artists presents Steve Coogan in the international smash comedy. It's like Scooby Doo, isn't it? Because they like they had a bust, didn't they? It is a little bit like Scooby Doo. That takes you back to the start of a movement. This is it. The birth of rave culture. This is the moment when even the white man starts dancing. A time when legends were created. You know, I think that Sean Ryder is on par with WBH as a poet. Give him an example of some of your lyrics. Good, good, good. Good, good, double good. And rules were broken. Really ought to be careful with that, Sean. You could take someone's eye out. Did I offer anybody oh. like the best no. experience you've ever had? Don't judge. I'm being postmodern before it was fashionable. When you have to choose between the truth and the legend, print the legend. Is he gonna hit me? 24-hour party people. That's 24-hour party people, released in the UK, 5th of April 2002. Directed by Michael Winterbottom. Starring Steve Coogan. I'm not even going to go through this whole list. I mean, we'll mention these people as we go along, but we've said before with the old movies, when you look at some of the faces in the cast list, they're like, you know, a cast list that's to die for. This is a modern equivalent. Yeah. You know, we've got John Thompson, Lenny James, Shirley Henderson, Paddy Considine, John Sim, Dave Gorman, Ralph Little, Andy Serkis. There's lots of little faces in here as well that when the cast list came up at the end, I was like, oh my God, didn't even spot that that was so-and-so. And also, which is really unique, and we'll, we'll touch on this as well, the people that were actually there at the time in the bands appear in the movie playing other characters or playing themselves. And we'll, we'll talk about that as we go through. It's your choice today, mate. What's the synopsis of the movie, please? Manchester, 1976. Tony Wilson, Steve Coogan, is an ambitious but frustrated local TV news reporter looking for a way to make his mark. After witnessing a life-changing concert by the band as the Sex Pistols, sorry, the band known as the Sex Pistols, he persuades his station to televise one of their performances, and soon Manchester's punk groups are clamouring for him to manage them. Riding the wave of musical revolution, Wilson and his friends create the legendary Factory Records label and at the Hacienda Club. There we go. So, you were sort of aware of the movie... Became more aware of it because of this podcast you were listening to with Steve Coogan. Yeah. Watched it for the first time last night. Just give us your instant reaction to it, mate, and I'll give you mine. 
Alan Partridge. Did it remind you of Partridge? Was it very... Straight away. <laughs> when it starts with the hand guarding scene, the way he's reporting, it's just all of his mannerisms, just Alan Partridge straight away. It was that sort of pompous, sort of like um, know-it-all attitude as well, wasn't it? He did come across as Partridge. Brilliant. Yeah, and it's the same storyline, isn't it? Like a frustrated local news reporter, <laughs> a frustrated local radio presenter that wants to be back on the BBC. You know, it's exactly the same. <laughs> Perhaps that was the inspiration, mate. This whole true story was, was where Partridge came from originally. Who knows? Possibly. I wasn't looking forward to this at all. As I say, really? it wasn't... I, I just had an impression it was going to be a totally different movie to what I got. Yeah. Sometimes, as much as I love Steve Coogan, depending on what character he's playing or what role he's in in what movie, sometimes he can annoy me a little. Right. I don't love everything that's Alan Partridge. Call him Alan Partridge. I don't love everything that <laughs> Steve Coogan. See, he's so ingrained that character. You just associate the pair. Um, yeah. But what we got here was, you know, c- classic Steve Coogan. It was great. Yeah. yeah, I loved it. And as I said before, wasn't my type of music at the time. Wasn't what I was into. But I've learned to love that music a bit more. I listen a lot more to that sort of stuff now as I'm getting older and thinking, do you know what? I missed out on that. So I'm looking back and I knew the stories associated with New Order and, and that first Sex Pistols gig and all that. Like, you know, they've gone down in history, some of those things. And and it was good to see them being represented on the screen. So for you, who didn't live through that, to you, this is a piece of history. Mm. How did you feel about the movie? Did you did you learn a lot? Did you think actually this this is something that you weren't aware of? I'm, I'm taking you know from this. I knew the bands in it. I knew New Order, right? Joy Division, things like that. Mm-hmm. Listened to their music, liked their music. I didn't realise how involved. Mm. Obviously, it started as Joy Division, went to New Order. How involved they were with the club and how it sort of they sort of created the Happy Mondays as such. Because if it wasn't for them, they probably wouldn't have come along. So yeah. I didn't realise how sort of how tied up it all was. To be fair, they're all interlinked, aren't they? And there's a yeah, there's a classic example of that right at the beginning when he's at the Sex Pistols gig and there's only forty two people there. Yeah, and you've got Mick Hucknall sitting uh, yeah. there. And uh, and Howard Devoto and Pete Shelley and all these guys from people that went on to become bands. Yeah. That legend has it, they were all influenced by that Sex Pistols gig. Yeah. You know, it's one of those famous stories that you that there was only 42 people there, but you ask anybody, yeah, I was at that gig. Oh, you know, if, if, you, if everybody was there that said there was, there'd be like 4,000 <laughs> people. It's one of those stories, you know. And it was great, wasn't it? And, and they sort of, they brushed over a few of them because it was like, <laughs> there's a great line about him saying like that he didn't sign up Mick Hucknall because he thought his singing was shit or, his, or something like yeah. that. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, brutal in places. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so they, there's like these little true stories like that. They didn't dwell on the fact too much that he's re- he regretted not signing the Smiths. Um, but it focused on Joy Division Ian Curtis in particular. We'll talk about that storyline in a second. Doesn't end well. Does well. No. Did you know that story? Because that's obviously a famous. Which is why Joy Division became, yeah, New Order. Um, and just his whole 
twisted personal life as well and the people he meets along the way. And just that whole Manchester scene that we were never going to be part of. Me being down here in the South and not particularly into that sort of thing anyway, but you, because it was an era long before you were born, Mm. it's just a fascinating document, isn't it, of a a piece of pop history that hasn't really been covered before. You get a thousand movies about, you know, 60s music and the 70s and even rock and roll in the 50s, but not that 80s scene that, looking back, actually was quite exciting, quite very revolutionary. Yeah, definitely. And just changed the whole pop pop industry on its head, especially the way he done business as well. I mean, right. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't a con- Did you get the whole concept of that thing? There wasn't a contract. Did you see that bit? Yeah, there was no contract. Everyone was free to go. It was a sort of a... It, it worked, but it didn't work, did it? Um, Not in the end when he got offered five million. No, because there was no contract to sell. Um, yeah. Apart from what he had literally written in blood. Great story. You you think that was made up, but let's go through some of the people. Let's go through some of the story, mate. I mean, it starts off at this this gig in 1976 of the Sex Pistols, and he basically is so impressed with what he sees and the reaction that those very few people that are there are having to it that he convinces Granada to broadcast another, you know, another gig of theirs on his show. Yeah. And that was it, bang. That was when the Sex Pistols came to the, the public's attention, you know, because the BBC were not broadcasting anything like that on top of the pops. So it was Too down prim to, and proper. Yeah, it was down to him to, to actually bring them to the attention of the world. And along the way, you know, he starts picking up these bands and people that would go on to become very, very famous, very influential music makers of the period. Mm. I was under the impression this isn't going to be your sort of music style, but you do listen to stuff like this. I listen to all sorts. It's weird. Some days I could listen to classical radio, Mm. then the next day it's heavy rock. There's no sort of genre that I listen to in particular, really. So you got into this then? Did you you sort of get into it from the start, or did it take a little while for you to warm to it a bit? Uh, it took me a while to get into the actual film, mm. trying to work it out, because, again, I was just trying to get past this Alan Partridge. That was the biggest <laughs> issue for me. Um, and the music, was... I knew the music, so... Good, so you was aware of who these people were, to a certain yeah. degree. That's Because I think for possibly some American or foreign audiences that aren't aware of who, say, Sean Ryder was, or Ian Curtis... Um, this wouldn't make a lot of sense to them about how big they were. But then a lot of those bands did go on to be worldwide superstars. You know, we, we yeah. know that. Talk to me more about Coogan then. Getting over the fact that he, he, to you, he's very Alan Partridge. What do you think, mate? I think, overall, mm-hmm. not knowing the whole Tony Wilson story until now, yeah, I think it was played quite well by him. Yeah, see, I'm still quite familiar with Tony Wilson as a TV personality. I remember him presenting shows. I don't remember him presenting Wheel of Fortune. I definitely don't remember him doing that. Well, I googled that and it actually never aired. Ah, that's why then. Because wasn't it Nicky Campbell was doing it for a while, wasn't he? I think. Yeah, then it was Leslie something or rather. John Leslie or Leslie Grantham, someone of the John Leslie, wasn't it, I think? John Leslie, there you go. Leslie Grantham was dirty then. 
There you go. That's why then. Yeah. There's a, as you can probably tell, this is I'm not very good with names. Oh no, no, you, you were halfway there, mate. It's more than I was. Go for it. Um, <laughs> so that, that that was just like a pilot or something that was recorded. Yeah, it never happened. Probably because he goes into that philosophical thing at the beginning, doesn't he, about the wheel being or whatever, and you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's an Alan Partridge phone in, isn't it? That's, yeah. that's what it was. The whole philosophy thing that he goes on. Because do you do you remember he picked that line up from Christopher Eccleston, the Tramp? Mm. There's, yes. There's lots of these little people that you know. These little um, there's lots of these little roles, these little characters. That are sort of throwaway almost because Christopher Eccleston has like thirty seconds of screen time as a tramp spouting yep. philosophy under a railway arch. Yeah, then you've got the geezer that plays Sam Tyler. I can't think of his name. John now. Sim. John Sim. Yeah. The, the, this is the thing that got me. I had to look at when this was actually made because, in my mind, I'm looking at this thinking, "Oh, this film's only about six, seven, eight years old." No, 18 years ago. Yeah, I'd forgotten that people like John Sim, Ralph Little, Andy Serkis had had been about that long. Simon Pegg. Yes, Simon Pegg. Yeah, Ralph Little I knew anyway from the Royal Family. Yeah. Um, But yeah, he was still quite new as such, wasn't he, to that sort of thing. They must have been at this period in time. Yeah. When this movie was was Peter Kay. I know um, he's been around since the 90s. You forget that though, didn't you? Yeah. So these guys are still probably fairly sort of like early on in their careers and when you look back they've they've all gone on to become not mega stars as such but you know bigger things and, and, and more familiar to us like john thompson lenny james lenny james in this was almost unrecognizable yeah i mean there's only sort of three things that i can relate him to and that's snatch now this mm-hmm. and line of duty when he was in that line playing duty, a ben yeah. copper and for me, was The Walking Dead as well. I was in the first couple oh, of seasons of The nah, Walking Dead. Nah, not a bit of me. Not for you, is it? That sort of thing. No. Could you get into the whole concept of the talking to the camera, breaking the fourth wall? Because when it first yeah. happened, it's sort of like, oh well, I, I, I weren't quite ready for that. Yeah, that was a bit. That threw me off a little bit, to be honest. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of another film that I could make that to. That was. Again, that was probably lock, stock and snatch because yeah. they sort of narrate it throughout, didn't they? Yeah. But it's weird, isn't it? Because what, when it first happens, I wasn't expecting it at all. And then it happens a few times. And and once I got used to the idea of that, that breaking the fourth wall, I thought, you know, this, this is actually quite an interesting way of doing it, of telling the story. Yeah. Because at the time, Tony Wilson was still alive. I mean, he passed away about eight, nine, ten years ago, I think. 2007. Yeah, and he appears in the movie. Tony yes. Wilson, you know, along with now, this was the bit where I thought it really, really worked. There's this hilarious scene when he goes to the first club, and it's run by Peter Kay, and he's having his first, you know, sort of gig there. And Peter Kay invites him into the back of his transit van where he's got two <laughs> prostitutes. Right? This fur-lined transit van. Right? <laughs> talk, talk I have that, a fur-lined transit just van. Just about to say, talk about transit vans. I know you're working on yours. Is, is that sort of the impression you're going for, mate? <laughs> well, yeah, if I could fill it full of hookers, even better still. <laughs> so he goes into this, um, into the back of this transit van. And apologies for the language here, listeners, but basically Peter Kay invites him out the back for a nosh. Yeah. 
Uh, well, he says it's all right. I've already eaten or something. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> so he so so he obviously takes him out on this offer, but then his wife, who's played by Shirley Henderson, did you recognise who Shirley Henderson is? If you don't watch this one particular um, sequence of movies that I'm going to mention, you wouldn't recognise her. No, I didn't recognise her. She's in the Harry Potter series. Right, so now I don't watch it. You Harry don't Potter watch it. She's Moaning Myrtle in the Harry Potter series. Uh, appeared in the last series of Happy Valley. Right. She was in. Anyway, she plays his wife. She catches him in the back of the transit. So she goes back into the club and starts copping off, for want of a better phrase, with <laughs> everybody in every band and ends up having a knee trembler in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> with Howard Devoto from the Buzzcocks. So Steve Cougar walks in, catches them in the toilet, and there's this hilarious line where he says, mine was only a blowjob, yours is full penetration, or something like that. He says, it's not fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but the, partridge the, again. Yeah, but the <laughs> bit I want to get to is as he walks through, there's a cleaner cleaning the sink in the in the toilet, in the bathroom there. And it was like a disclaimer, wasn't it? it was it's actually Howard Devoto, the guy that was a re- that was supposed to be playing the bloke in the toilet. Yeah. And he says, I know for a fact, he said, that that didn't happen because I was there. I'm Howard Devoto. <laughs> so there's this really surreal element that this guy, that the, you know, they're telling the story of, is there in the movie saying, well, no, that didn't happen. And then they actually say, well, you know, he said, you know, he says it didn't happen. My wife said it didn't happen. But I'm a great believer of if the legend is better, print the legend, you know, which is something that John Ford, the director, once said. And the whole movie is peppered with these little cameos, almost. Yeah. I mean, there's one, you probably wouldn't have recognised it, mate, as he walks past a crowd that are lining up to go into the Hacienda or wherever it was, I can't remember. And he says, hello, Mark, how are you doing? It's Mark E. Smith from The Fall who passed away last year, I think it was. They're all there. You know, it's really funny the way it was all been done. I didn't recognise um, Andy Serkis until a few minutes in. Right. Who's the long-haired record producer with the dark glasses that turns out to be really fat at the end. Yes. Yeah, the coffee bit. Oh, well. Coffee. <laughs> Again, <laughs> true story. You know, the man had put on so much weight, they hadn't dug a grave big enough for his coffin, so they just had to lay it on the top. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm hoping there's a book, there's a biography, autobiography about this because I'm going to go back and try and find something on all of this because it's an era that I missed out on. Yeah, and it's a shame. But then I'm rediscovering some of this stuff and I'm loving some of the music going back and and thinking why wasn't I listening to that at the time? Why was I listening to that other shit? You know? <laughs> yeah. So did you have any other favourite moments, mate? Any favourite scenes or characters? I don't know about favourite moments. I had a few shocking moments when they they were sort of established in the Hacienda mm. and then they was having the gang issues, you know, the drug gangs and the shootings and whatnot. Yeah, the drug dealers were, were hired to be security to try and stop some of the problems, weren't they, or something, they said? Yeah, yeah, that was a bit of a eye-opener. Actual um, shootings I'm in the, the club, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. People walking around getting kneecapped and things like that. <laughs> I knew it went on mm. and still does go on. You know, I used to, well, I didn't used to go around shooting people or <laughs> deal drugs, but um, I used to work in security circles yes, and clubs and whatnot. So you're always aware of it. 
But I just sort of thought it was a, a recent thing, you know, back in the day, you just get out, go outside, get a paste in, and that'd be it. But um, yeah, no, this this is a, a big thing about that whole drug culture, and you know, the, the explosion of ecstasy when it came yeah. on the scene, and it just created a whole wealth of problems. Yeah, especially around Moss Side in Manchester, and you know that that became not only the dance capital of the UK, but it became the drug capital as well. And the attention shifted from London, I suppose, to, to Manchester. Yeah. Because the kids were, were, were raving, were, were doing all this club activity that revolved around drugs. And as they pointed out in the movie, you said we were just losing money every time we opened because we were paying for the premises, we were paying for the sound systems, we were paying for the bands. He said, but we weren't making a penny at the bar because everyone was off their tits. Yeah, he said the drug dealers, they were making a fortune. Yeah. But not us, you know. But then you can see why he wasn't making any money, where there's that bloody marvellous scene where he buys the first office. After all the years, he gets his first factory office. (laughs) The table. Oh, the table. (laughs) Wow. Not the most attractive-looking bit of furniture in the world, is it? But... He said, you know, we we need to make this look proper. So he spends £30,000 on the table. And, and Paddy Constantine goes to kill him. He's like, 30 grand on the table. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, yeah. they're losing yeah. money hand over fist. They send the Happy Mondays off to the Caribbean. <laughs> no. Because Sean Ryder is, like, absolutely addicted to hell on, on heroin. So they send him with four weeks' worth of methadone to the Caribbean, which he breaks the bottle at the airport before he even gets there. It cost them, didn't he say it cost them something like £700,000? Something ridiculous. I'm sure it was £700,000 yeah. to send them away for a month, and they come back with a demo disc that's got no vocals on it. Yeah, it's just noises. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he holds it to ransom. <laughs> and then sells it to him for 50 quid. Yeah. But these stories are true. They are obviously all true. They may have elaborated some of it. It was interesting as well the way they focused on certain things and not focused on certain things because we get the story of his first marriage to Lindsay, I think her name was. Yes, that's it. It then goes over to his third marriage, who is the Miss UK. Yeah. When he's really successful. But then all of a sudden there was this really weird bit where he's in a hospital. Visiting, yeah, there's a little boy there. Yeah, this woman and the child. And even then, when you, after that scene's finished, you're thinking, hang on, who is she? How are they relate? And then he says in the car afterwards, he says, we, we, we're not going to dwell on this, but he said, but I did have children with my second wife. Yeah. There's no explanation as to why she's in hospital. No. Nope. What happened? No, I'd double take because I thought yeah. it was Miss Weld in there. Yeah, I don't think she's aged or changed. Exactly. <laughs> I thought, yeah, we fast-forwarded a few years. He's had his kids. Yeah. And that's where we're at, but no. It was the bit in between, and they said, you know, we're just going to mention it, but it's not important, or, you know, it's not part of this story that we're telling. That is the one thing I did notice about the film. It's very jumpy, isn't it? Like, from different eras, very quick, lots of bits. I know you can't sit there forever going through all of it. It covers a long period of time, though, when you think about it, mate. 76. Yeah, through to to the 90s. To the 90s, and you've got two hours to tell the story. Um... Yeah, I'd have loved to have seen the focus on a bit more. You know, I'd love to see a whole movie devoted to Sean Ryder and the Happy Mondays. I would love to actually see that story developed into a two-hour movie. Yeah. Um, 
when Bez turns up, the introduction of Bez, I mean, there's this really surreal moment where he's reading the news on Granada about reports of a UFO flying over Manchester or, yes. or, or a suburb of Manchester. <laughs> yeah. And then it cuts to Sean Ryder, who's, who's witnessing this so-called UFO, and then magically appears Bez. Bez and, the chemist. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Isn't it? I mean, we love Bez and his dancing. You know, that's that's. I didn't realise that's how it all started. Obviously, he didn't come down to the UFO, but, but the, the fact well. was that the man couldn't <laughs> play any instruments. It was just, I'll oh, just get up on the stage and, and dance for us. And that's exactly what he did and what he's been doing for 30-odd years, you know. And what was the other bit? that I didn't know the story about Sean Ryder and his brother killing 3,000 pigeons with rat poison-laced bread. Yeah. <laughs> well, it actually didn't happen on a rooftop, though. All oh, right, right, you've, you've read into this. Come on, mate, because you've done more research than I have. Tell us the story. What happened then? Well, it happened not on a rooftop. That's, <laughs> a, that's, what I've, that's the story. I say, that's all there is gardens to it. Gardens or Piccadilly Circus uh, in Manchester uh, or something like that. There's a Piccadilly right. something in Manchester. Yes, yes, There'll be yeah. some manks out there that can tell me different. Um, but it happened there. It didn't happen on a rooftop. Oh right, okay. That is the story. But, it just didn't happen. But, it, it, but he did. He did like, feed loads of rat poisons, pigeons, which you know, fair play. Um. <laughs> Fascinating story. Fascinating period in in British sort of music history. Did you like it as a film? Did you Did you get to it? You know, I'm I'm just trying to think that. Yes, it did jump about a bit. But it didn't go from one timeline, then jump forward 10 years, then go back. It wasn't doing flashbacks and stuff like that. It stayed pretty in order, didn't it, throughout? So it was yeah. easy to follow. And you was okay with following who the people were and what yeah. and what they were up to? Okay, so did you know the story of Ian Curtis? Did you know how that happened? I knew he killed himself. Yeah. Um, I didn't realise it was a hanging. I, I assumed it was a drug overdose. Yeah, because I couldn't remember exactly how he died and I thought he was going to die when he was having that seizure in the club yeah. and yeah. I'm thinking oh this is the bit where he goes yeah and that's exactly what I thought yeah. yeah he's off his face you know and that's what's caused yeah, the seizure I and that's what's going to kill him completely forgot that he'd actually killed himself yeah and um, and the, the cusp- fact that they made it in America they were going to go out there to tour it wouldn't they and then the that's why he touched himself stardom pretty much yeah yeah pretty much they were just about to hit it big time and also then afterwards, when, when they became New Order, and I know for a fact that, because I was there and I bought the blooming thing, yeah, the, t- the 12-inch version of Blue Monday, I bought it, same as everybody did at school. You know, we were like 13 or whatever it was then. And, you know, it was, it was plastered all over the place. You know, the biggest selling 12-inch single of all time. And it held that record for yonks. It probably still does, I don't know. And it was on the radio. It was constantly played everywhere. And they never made a penny. Never made any money from it whatsoever because of the way this whole corporation was set up with no contracts, that the money was going back into factory, was going back into the hacienda, that all the money that was being made because there was this sort of 50-50 split or whatever it was that they'd negotiated over a handshake and a a blood-written contract. Yeah, it's a very strange way to do business and that's probably why it's tied up and watertight as it is now. Yeah. But also, it just makes it such an interesting story. I mean, if it was just a bog standard producer signing up these bands, we wouldn't have a story. We would, if it wasn't for the fact that Tony Wilson wanted to open a club, wanted to run his own record label. You know, was this 
he was quite a famous TV presenter. You know, he's a very familiar face, mate, even before all of this took off, you know, which is what he became more famous for. He was always on the TV, always doing lots of interviews and, and I think he appeared on the tube a few times, you know, but he's mainly up in up in the north, in, in the Granada area that he, he sort of focused on. But we knew him down here from national TV. So Yeah. So let's start winding this down a bit, mate. In, in summary, okay, unless you've got anything else to add, I mean, this was a first-time watch for you, mate. You You surprised me with this today because I thought you were going to come across here this morning and say, do you know what? That weren't what I was expecting and didn't quite enjoy it. But I'm getting the feeling you quite got into this. I did. I think I need to watch it again. Yeah. And this time around, not watch it as we was doing that, reviewing it. I need to just watch it for what it is. Really, really try and forget the Steve Coogan character of Alan Partridge <laughs> and all that stuff. And watch it for what it is, and do a bit of homework. Just about to say, I might go back, but before I do, just have a little bit of a read-up to see which of these events actually happened and to what extent they happened. Yeah. How much have they elaborated it? Or, you know, did that happen the way they're depicting it? Uh, and like I say, just try and find some autobiography or whatever just to get the story, because I like reading those sort of, you know, those rock biographies. I loved it. I, I I went into this thinking, do you know what? This is going to get a two-star review for me, three at the most. You know, it's just yeah. going to be a competent, you know. And I put it on last night, and I watched. I'd already seen the hang gliding scene at the beginning, just to yep. make sure my me, me copy was working, you know. So I went back, and I watched that again. I thought, right, okay, here we go. And within five minutes, I'm thinking, well, actually, because it went into the Sex Pistols thing and all that, and I this could be quite good for me, you know, because I was fully aware of all of that. I mean, I was Sex Pistols 76, I was seven, eight years old, but I had older brothers. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, I'd lived through all of that era of music. So there's people there that I knew and I was familiar with and I'd grew up with liking or being aware of in the chart. So for me, it was that sort of experience. For you, it's more of a historical experience because it's something you didn't live through. Yeah, and I absolutely loved it. And from what I thought was going to be a two-star review, is now four. Yeah, do you know what? I'm probably with you. To be fair, I mean, wrongly, mm. although the hang gliding scene was very quite, it was very funny, very very <laughs> funny. Might not be as funny for some people again who haven't seen Alan Partridge. I think that's what made it a bit more funny for me. But wrongly, I sort of thought, well, that's it. It's going to be an Alan Partridge film. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I thought from when it began. It's just because uh, I'm, I'm obviously I'm a bit of a Partridge fan, as you probably can tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, from that point, I was oh, it's going to be a Partridge film. This is going to be crap. Um, gotta, but then, like you say, that, yeah, you get a few minutes into it, and then you know you start getting a feel for it, and he starts narrating it as such, and you're like, actually, yeah, yeah it's very is clever, right. isn't it? It's very cleverly made. Very clever, yeah. very complex. Although when you watch it, it's not. But when you pick it apart like this. Very, very clever film. Yeah, there's some good techniques they use. It, like we said, that bit of breaking the fourth wall and talking to the camera. The first time it happens, you're like, oh, okay, wasn't expecting that. But then as that happens more and more throughout the movie, yeah, you, you're used to it and you're thinking, yeah, this is a good way of tying all the bits together. You know, we've got a four-year gap here or something, but he's just explained it just by turning to the camera and saying, this happened, that happened, and that happened. Yeah. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. 
Okay, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a short break. I believe it's my choice for you afterwards this mate. Isn't it? it is. I am looking forward to it. I, I don't know what it is. I, I made a decision about two minutes before we switched on the microphone. Oh, there we go then. <laughs> Back after this. May the 21st, 1982. The night the Hacienda opened. Everyone wants to play. Bowie, Queen, The Stones. I chose a certain ratio because they were my band. And that was the point of the Hacienda. It was a place for people we knew, people we could trust. I can't believe this. They have solely betrayed us here. What a fucking joke. Oh, I don't know, Rob. You know, it might work. Has there ever been a Withenshaw jazz band? No, there aren't, thank fucking... No, let me tell you, like, jazz is the last refuge of the untalented. Jazz musicians enjoy themselves far more than anyone listens to it. It's like theatre. It's what you do when you can't get a gig. Mm. It's one down from Celebrity Squares. Excellent, well done. Very good, very so, good. So, so where is everyone? There you go. Um, we had 100 on the guest list. You were at the Sex Pistols gig. How many people were in the audience? It was about 40. Right, yeah. and it was history. Yeah, but there's only 30 here tonight. Exactly, exactly. The smaller the attendance, the bigger the history. There were 12 people at the Last Supper, half a dozen at Kitty Hawk. Archimedes was on his own in the bath. Okay, Tony, we've got a few recording sessions coming up. I mean, this episode is probably going to go out beginning of 2021. Oh, it's so close. I know this is just weird the way this is happening now. This year has gone by so quickly. But in between our next official episode, we're going to hopefully get together, me, you and Stephen, to record something for Christmas hopefully something for the New Year's Day episode as well if we can all get together for that so this episode will probably not be recorded until the New Year uh, broadcast in the New Year you're probably going to head towards Easter with this one yes <laughs> okay I think you're going to like this I know you're going to like this now so everyone Des O'Connor and that is still dead they died last year okay <laughs> but we're telling you to die. they died today but last year. People are thinking, blimey, they're a bit behind on their news, news reporters, <laughs> aren't they? Look at that. Yeah. On, on, finger on the pulse, that real Britannia. Right. That's it. <laughs> and we are socially distanced for about three miles. We've got to get that in again. Yes. Just we... in case there's any snowflakes listening. Oh, yeah, just possibly when this episode goes back, we might be all okay. We might be allowed to actually meet again, mate. Who knows? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you have a couple of sort of great loves when it comes to to movies and to this podcast 
one of which is is war films you know and I like yep. I like to bring you perhaps a war film you haven't seen before and we've been very fortunate in so much as everyone that I've brought to you I think you've enjoyed yeah and, and even the ones you've picked yourself and thought took a gamble on we we haven't found a turkey yet okay your other great love is classic British sitcoms yeah from the 70s the 80s you know that's yeah combine a classic British sitcom with a war movie and we're going back to 1971 yeah how about the movie version of Dad's Army yes 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 (laughs) brilliant what a choice that one I think will be such an easy watch because I'm pretty sure we've both seen it a thousand times yes um Absolutely adore the TV show. Uh, I don't think we'll go wrong with this one. Yeah, I think this one's going to be a nice, easy one to chat about. It is. I think it's <laughs> going to be quite a, a lengthy chat about this one. This could go on for some time. <laughs> Bring what, some snacks. Uh, what we can do, I mean, we can watch it over Christmas because we're at the end of November, mid-November at the moment. So we can plan to watch it over Christmas and come back in the new year and just record an episode on Dad's Army and talk about that whole thing because I haven't spoke to you about it I spoke to the other guys when we did the Police uh, movie like big movie production but I can talk to you about you know that whole phenomenon of when the TV sitcoms had their own movie spin-offs yeah uh, and does it work you know and, and particularly with Dad's Army which went on for years and he's so familiar I mean he was on TV last night and it's still the best thing on Saturday evenings TV you know there is and they've also remade some lost episodes as well they have they've got those ones back together and it's interesting I haven't seen those ones I've, I saw the new movie we'll have to talk about that and the, the re- not watched it no, didn't want to watch no, it we'll, <laughs> talk, we'll, we'll talk about that when we talk about this one but I just thought, you know what? This is a good chance to talk to you about one of your favourite subjects, which is, you know, good old classic sitcoms. And, and why not do one that I think we're both going to have a li- little bit of fun with? Yeah, definitely. Good choice. Very good choice. Thank you very much. Dad's Army, 1971. Well, that's it from us for this episode. Tony, thank you for being here bright and early on a Sunday morning. No, thank you for having me bright and early. <laughs> Good to see you, mate. See you very soon. Take care. See you later. Bye-bye. Absolute shower. A positive shower. Well, Good luck. Thank you.
bring the British end up, sir. Ha, ha, ha.